God, my Lord, he's an awesome God. My Lord. Wonderful song selection. Don't give up. Just hold on. Your will come. You be strong. We listen to these songs, but do how do you know him? How do you know him? Because everybody doesn't know him the same way. He doesn't. He may not have manifested himself in your life the way he's manifested himself in somebody else's life. Yeah, somebody had to meet him as Jehovah Rapha because they needed a God who could heal them. He manifested himself that way. Somebody met him as Jehovah Jireh because they needed somebody to provide something for them. And God can manifest himself in so, so many different ways, but he's an awesome awesome God. Yeah, he's an awesome God. and I want to thank Reg and the music, musical staff for that particular song as we move into this period of teaching and preaching. It frames the conversation that I want to start having with you today concerning uh, knowing who God is. That's the name of the new sermon series. Knowing God, knowing, knowing God. I, I think, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm just going to ask him. I think some of us know him just as a generic God. Oh, yeah, just just God. Just God. You don't know him, your specific God. That's a problem. That's a problem. Because relationship matters so much when it comes to dealing with the Lord. It's not about the church you attend, honestly. It's not about who the leadership is at the church. It's not about the musical staff. It's not about the history of the church. It's about your relationship with God how that presents itself. Some folks still holding on to the fact that their mama had a relationship with the Lord because they love their mama so much. They still come and go through the motions. But I got to tell you, you'll get to a place in your life where you got to know him for yourself. Yeah. You got to know him for yourself. Life will bring those changes to Believe me. I know. I know. In 58 years, I figured out different ways of knowing him. How I know him today at 58 is completely different than how I knew him when I was 40. Completely different. I like to say it's more intimate. I like this. Well, we can break that down to a more basic level. I know Karen in a different way than I knew her. 36 years ago when we met. We, we know each other in a completely different way. I'm not even the same person I was when she met me 36 years ago. I'm a different person because life has brought so many different things to me and I've had to change and evolve. So if that's the case in our interpersonal relationships with one another, 
Why, too, shouldn't that be the case in our relationship with the Lord? Yeah. In fact, I would challenge you if you say I'm the same person I was all them years ago. Then I would ask you, well, where's the growth in your life? Because even the negative experiences in your life bring opportunities for growth. You got to be different. And I love the fact that God allows our relationship with him to evolve. So today, we're going to start the series for as long as the Lord says so. We're going to talk about who God is, knowing him. Knowing him, the name of the series is Knowing God. Knowing, knowing God. And the way we get to know God is by learning his character, learning his attributes. And the way we learn those things is he tells them to us. He reveals himself to us. For this message to start out this morning, the underlying scripture comes from Psalms 9, verse 10. One simple verse. One simple verse. It simply says, those who know your name will trust in you. Those who know your name will trust in you. And then it qualifies it. Why will they trust in you? Well, according to the psalmist, it says, for you, Lord, have never forsaken them who seek you. So those who trust in your name will trust in you. If you know his name, you can trust him. And the reason you can trust in him is because history, the Bible has shown over and over again that those who trust in the name of the Lord have never, ever been forsaken. And that's why I ask you, do you know him? Do you know him? He's not a God who forsakes you. When when he's on your side, A.O., he's on your side. When you're his, you belong to him. When, when you are in God's purview, you needn't look for other things to take care of you. In fact, you do him a disservice. You denigrate his name and his ability when you go toward lesser gods to take care of you under those circumstances, man. Many times we do that. We claim that we are believers and Christians, and then we depend on our money, which is a lesser God. We depend on our reputation. We depend on our connection to bless us. And when you go to little G gods like that, you get the results that come from depending on little G gods. But God is able to turn around a circumstance in a way that you never would have known it to be turned around. But you got to know his name. So how many different names are there of the Lord? Scripture has recorded well over, well, in some, in some instances, it's hard to even calculate. But we know of at least 63 names. At least 63 names found in Scripture. That's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, and this morning we're gonna go back through a one by one. No, <laughs> one by one. 
No. No, 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 no. That's an awesome number of names. But actually, different historians have come up with different numbers. For purposes of our study, as we go through this, I've identified about 10 names that we're going to look at um, through these messages that I believe will help us understand, appreciate who the Lord is better. And why is the name important? Why is, why is your name important? What does your name do for you? And I think sometimes we forget the importance of a name because names identified historically have been given to people to identify who they are, what they represent, their character. They can, they can tell you what he or she is like. I had a friend when I was in elementary school and we called him Sneezer. That was his nickname. His nickname, his nickname was Sneezer. And the reason we called him Sneezer, we were, you know, little young, silly boys. But I guarantee you, hindsight would tell him that Sneezer probably had seasonal allergies. <laughs> but he was always doing what? Sneezing. Sneezing. And, of course, we made jokes out of it. Just silly. If I saw him today, I'd say, I would not call him by his given name. I would say, what's up, Sneezer? And he would respond. He would respond to that name. Why? Because it's affectionate. It's not something we use to, to, to uh, hurt him. It's just something we say. I, many of you know me by Reverend Sparks. There's some who know me as Judge Sparks. My children refer to me as daddy, grandchildren refer to me as padre. Each one of those names comes with a different context, comes with a different relationship. And those are the ones that I know. Those are the ones that say it in my face. Now, I don't know about the ones behind my back. Well, I never, some of my names start with short, and I never understood. <laughs> those are not happy names. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but people deal with you based on how you interact with them. My wife has some names for me that are affectionate, that no one else knows about. And, um, some I use uh, often, often. But if you came in my house and you heard her, you know, yell out, you wouldn't know who she was talking to. She was talking to me. Why? Because that's what... 38 years of being together has done. You know, I've become that to her, and, and, and the same is true for her. We put great significance to names and titles, but they were far more important in the first century. They were far more important in the Near East and during those biblical times than they are today. We place divine meaning on certain names. You know, Jesus' name was given for a reason. His mission was tied to his name. And even today, all these thousands of years later, guess what? It still holds true that his mission reflects his name. And the people at that time, so critically important, the people who knew the divine name were able to invoke the presence and obtain the help of the deity associated with that name. And so you didn't mess around. You didn't play around with it. It was reverent. 
when you call those names. And so to help us identify the one true God, because that's the one thing that we have to understand. We are a one God believing people primarily. But there was a time where there, during the time that the Bible was written, there was so many pagan beliefs that people worship false gods with the same energy, maybe even more energy, than we worship and identify the true and living God. And so God gave us his name so that we would be able to distinguish and know he's different from the rest of them. And he also gave us his names to describe his character. And so when we study what he goes by, we'll actually get to know what God is like. And while they're important in other cultures, I, I wouldn't diminish their importance. They're even more so important during biblical times. Proverbs 22 and 1 says that a good name carries more desire than great riches. A good name has more value to it. And if you live long enough, then you understand the value of a good name. They were given to reveal more than just your familial associations. For example, the name Nabal. In scripture, according to 1 Samuel, the name means fool. Nabal. And if you study the passage of scripture surrounding 1 Samuel 25 and 25, Nabal's interaction with David and his men showed you that he lived up to his name. And he ended up dying based on his character as a fool. And he lost a good wife in the meantime, but David picked up a good wife because Abigail was married to a fool. And he ended up losing his wife and his life behind his foolishness. In the Old Testament, the word that's used for name stands for individual mark. Individual mark. And that's why it communicated an essence. We are benefited by living in a literate society. People can read and write and communicate not only through the verbal word, but also through the written word. But y'all may not live in a place that some of us do where there are people we interact with on a daily basis who are not literate, who do not know how to read and write. Even in 2022, that number is still high, particularly in Alabama. People are still, because we live in a college-centric society, people are still amazed that in Alabama, only about 26% of the population has a college education. Only 26%. Now think, that, think about that. Just because you're around folk who are all college educated or college attuned, the majority of the state isn't. 75% of folk do not have a college degree. In fact, let's break that down a little bit further by racial demographics. 
Yeah, if seventy, if twenty-five, if 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 twenty-five plus percent in the state or thirty percent in the state have a college degree, and African Americans in Alabama, I think, only comprise about twenty-five percent of the population, then you ought to know that the population of Black folk with degrees goes down from there. So we're not talking about a whole lot. Now, why do you think it's so many? Why do you say? Because everybody I know went to college. Because that's the group you hang with. That's, the, that's your circle of friends. That's your circle of influence. And I can tell you right now, it doesn't hold true across the state. Because we deal with folk who are illiterate, I still interact with folk who have to make their mark. You never heard that term. Make their mark. And so what they're doing is making a physical mark on a document but really it's their character that's attesting to the fact that this is me. So if they ever challenged on that, the question would be, did you make this mark? And the answer would have to be, okay, yes, I did. That's my mark, that, that's, that's identifying me. Is it sad? It is. Is it changeable? Absolutely. But it takes a whole lot of work in order to make it done, to get it done. So to know the name of someone is important, but it's also important for them to know their own name. If they see it on a piece of paper, they need to be able to identify that that's me or that's mine. Imagine how many people have been gotten over on because they couldn't read their own name on a piece of paper. And so to know the name of God means to know him like it means to know us for us to know people personally. And during this series, my prayer is going to be that you actually get to know him better than you do right now. Let's use right now as a benchmark. We don't have to go any further. Just from this point forward, I want you to understand. Now, let me give you some foundational, some foundational things about these names we're going to study. These are some principles that you need to take with you as we study. First of all, these names are given by God. All right? Not thought up by people. These are not the imaginings of people. These are God-given names. And we're going to give you scriptural reference and foundation to understand why God gave these names. In fact, we'll give you the factual scenarios why people interacted with him and why he revealed himself in that way to them. Not only that, each name of God is going to reveal one of his qualities or his character, each one that we're going to talk about. Another foundational principle in learning this is that each of these names was given to people, to God's people, in order for them to help in a moment of need, in a moment of need. So there was a specific purpose. Something was going on in their life, which is why God revealed himself in that way. When I, and the last is, the names are miniature por are portraits of God, and they're filled with promises. And God gives them to us as, like, as a gift so that we can know him better. Those are the foundational principles. When I was about three or four years old, I attended, um, I attended a kindergarten in Ellenian City called, and the name of it was Miss Pinkies. Miss Pinkies, it was a my, my, my grandparents lived on 43rd Avenue North. And Miss Pinkies 
Pinky's house in kindergarten was a block, about a block and a half away. And I don't know who would take me to school in the morning. But at that time, kids could walk around and everything would be okay. But when school let out in the morning, I mean, when school let out in the afternoon, and it was time for me to leave Miss Pinky, my grandmama would come out of the house and stand in the middle of the road. Miss Pinky would let me out the house. And I'd go in the middle of the road, and I would walk block and a half down to my grandma. This is a daily thing. But you know, little boys can't walk a straight path. You know, it's stuff in the road you want to see, and glass and <laughs> ants and bugs. and They have to be explored. This is part of being a little boy and growing up. And so the walk, while it would seem to be pretty quick, would actually take a little time as I explored on my way home. And one day I was walking, and out of somewhere, I don't know where, came a big dog barking. And the dog was between me and my grandma. And I did what little boys do under those circumstances. I froze. And in a flash, in a moment, I got to know my grandmama in a different way. I got to know my grandmama as a runner. And I got to know my grandmama as a protector because before I knew it, she was between me and the dog. And experience brought about a different level of knowledge between me and Leela Jones. And so she wasn't just grandmama. I knew if something was going on, get behind grandmama because she was not going to allow anything to happen. That's what we're talking about in these names we're going to study with the Lord. Something's happening in your life, and you get to know them in a different way. Not because somebody told you. I'd have gone on the stand testifying. From now on, I'd have sat on the stand for the last 54 years and told them, Leela is a protector. All her life in different forms, she protected me. All my life in different forms, she stood between me and whatever bad was out there. And I never, ever lost, I never, ever lost the knowledge that that's her place. And one day, she validated this. And this is what God is saying to us. I was getting ready to leave her house one day. And I said, Mama, I called her Mama. I said, Mama, I love you. And she looked at me and chuckled and said, you better. She knew the life she had put into me and what she had done for me. She knew, based on any reasonable interpretation of relationship, anybody with good sense ought to love somebody that loved them like that. She wasn't being ugly, which is why she laughed, but she knew, without a doubt, I love you. So I came to ask you today, do you love him? Do you even know him enough? To love him like that. Is your relationship with him such that you can say without a doubt, I love the Lord. And then you ought to be able to qualify why you love the Lord. Is it because he heard your plea? He took care. Why do you love the Lord? Because I'm going to show you in scripture some folk who love the Lord. And they can testify about why. 
They love him. We're going to get to know him in those 10 ways. And then I want, to, I want you to ask yourself as we go through these names, do I know him that way? Do I know him in, in this way? Do I know him as this character in my life? Why is that important? Well, first of all, when you recognize someone's name, it's important. You got to first recognize, recognize his name. Somebody walked past you and said, uh, and called him uh, Elohim. Elohim. Do you even know what that means? That's what we hope to elevate your understanding so you know not only that Elohim refers to him, but why does it refer to him? In what manner does it refer to him? In a book called All to Heaven, but Rooted to Earth, the author, Walter Brueggemann, prays this prayer. It's a mature prayer. He says, you are not the God we would have chosen. You are not the God we would have chosen. And then he explained it. And a commenter explained what Brueggemann meant when he said, because the troubling prayer that says you are not the God we would have chosen means that most often I would have chosen and indeed have chosen a God other than him. Most often, I would have rather not learned the hard lessons the hard way. I would have rather not have to worship in the wilderness where God continuously calls me to find and be found by him. I would rather God simply meet my expectations, fix my problems, heal my hurts, and be on his way. Instead, we serve a God who calls us not just so he can be our ATM when we call on him, but he calls us to be in relationship with him. I'm not providing the resources, God says, I'm providing myself to you. And I am, as we've learned in scripture, God says, Casanova, sufficient for your needs. And when you learn that, then the resources don't matter. But the question is, do you know him? Much of the angst you feel in life is because you don't recognize him in that way and don't call upon him until you need him. Brueggemann, the commenter finishes on Brueggemann. He said, I want a God who is faithful to me in ways I understand and expect and who expresses faithfulness in the ways I choose. That's what I want, but God won't let us do that. In other words, I want a God who fits what I want. And who doesn't elevate me in relationship to a standard of holiness. We're selfish by nature. We want what we want, when we want it. And we go around framing the context of our lives to fit our selfish needs over and over again. And when we pray, we pray that God validates our choices even when they're not good choices. And we fix things so that they fall into the pattern that we choose. And God won't play that game. God elevates us to a standard that's bigger than that. But you got to get to know him in that way. Once you get to know that God who elevates you and has expectations of you, then you learn a few things about him. First of all, you learn that he's a good God. He's a good God. The scripture tells us 
that he's good. He writes specifically, the psalmist says, I will praise you forever for all that you have done. In your name, I will hope. Why? Because your name is good. God's name is good. Not only is he good, the psalmist doubles down a little bit later and says, not only is he good, do, uh, do as you promised God, he wrote, for your name will be great forever. Not only is he good, God is great. God is great. Yeah, not only that, his name is majestic. Majestic. We, we put royalty on anything. You go and put on a purple suit and somebody call you a king. But that doesn't mean you're royalty. But God is royalty. He's the highest high. He's the king of kings. The Lord of lords. And his majesty reigns forever. He's Majestic. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. His name is glorious. Why do you need to know his name? Because it's glorious. You ought to know um, what the word glory actually means. The word glory means heavy. Heavy, which means that it's weighty or awesome. God's name comes with a connotation. So when you use it, you're pulling in the big guns when you say, oh, God, which, why, which is why you should never use it flippantly. You should never use God's name out of context. And he told us that. And yet we bring it into our daily common conversation. We bring it into our jokes. We bring it into things that have no meaning. And we use the holy, majestic, good, great name of God in a way that no one ever should use it. And then we wonder why it's not effective when we call on his name in a time of need. And that's because you have never distinguished it between the mess in your life. There are some things you ought not use. You got in your closet some clothes you don't wear, but on certain occasions. You also got some jeans in your closet you'll put on anytime. God should never be like your jeans. He ought to always be something special. He ought to always be elevated to the unique situation. And still, we bring them into everything. You get to Burger King and they don't give you enough french fries and you holler, oh God. Because you got six french fries instead of 12 in your little bag. It's the same God across the street if you at UAB that a child is over there saying, oh God, help me. I can't breathe. And you talking about some french fries. Where is the line in your personal life? Where is the reverence in your first personal life? When is he holy to you? When is God holy to you? Is he ever holy are you afraid to go to a date and establish it as a day of holiness where I'm trying to do better? Is it always common? I have this problem when we are always keeping it real. Sometimes it needs to be real holy. Sometimes it needs to be high and special. Sometimes we need to elevate ourselves and the church is guilty of not putting those things into context. When I was growing up, it was part of tradition, but it had a purpose. We've allowed it to be diminished. I'm guilty of it. We had a place in the church that everybody couldn't walk on. 
everybody couldn't be in that space. We reserved it for people who we had ordained, who we had elevated. Those are places that they need to be. If you know what I'm talking about. You grew up in one of them churches and you stepped in the pulpit. It's almost like bells and like an alarm went off. And if somebody saw you, they would yell, get down from there. You don't need to be up there. It's not because you're not unique or important. It's because we ought to have some spaces in our life that are reserved. When I was growing up, we couldn't go in my grandmama and granddaddy's bedroom. What you going in there for? Maybe because they asked money in the closet or something. They weren't about to go in there and get it. I don't know. But you just didn't go in there playing, and you certainly didn't sit, in the, sit on the bed. Good God, don't you know this is going to happen. I know I ain't the only one. I'm, I'm not the only one black in here. I mean, I know this stuff. It was something special about it. Now you go up in there and your child in the bed with the remote. We diminished it. How are we supposed to respond to his, respond to his name? I'm going to tell you this and I'm going to get out of here. Get ready next time to talk about all of the, the wonders of his name. First of all, how do you respond to his name? Do you praise his name? When you hear the name of the Lord. That's supposed to be a response from us who know him. The number one reaction to recognizing God's name is to praise his name. Because he's worthy of it. He's worthy at every turn of the praise. Psalmist says, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness and will sing praises to the name of the Lord most high. I will give praises to him. He also says, praise the Lord, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore from the rising of the sun to the place where the sun sits. The name of the Lord is to be, is to be praised. Praise his name. Job tells us in the everyday ravages of life, there is no circumstance when we should not praise the Lord. Why do you think it was put in Scripture? Job was given to us to show us the extremes of praise. God testified to the righteousness of Job, so much so that he set him up as a model example of one who would praise him. This is what God did. Now, you know you something else when God uses you as the example. God uses your life as the example. And when, when the enemy comes in to attack God's creation, God says, but what about Job? Job, my servant, he's a righteous man. And, and the devil in his always trying to tear down anything that's good says, Job ain't nothing. If you take all the supports away from Job, Job will turn around and cuss your name. This is what the devil says to to the Lord, but he says it reverently because even the enemy got sense enough to be reverent to God. Yeah, he knows to be scared of God. He said, but if you take those supports away from Job, Job will disavow you and curse your name. And guess what? God ain't scared. 
So he took the supports away from Job. And the circumstances of Job's life imploded, Cass. He lost all 10 of his children. He lost all his wealth. He was rich one day and destitute the next. And Job, the same one who was declared righteous before this holy theatrical uh, uh, exhibition started, he was righteous, so righteous that God used him as an example, which means he must have praised God at every turn he could have. This same God, the day after a tsunami hit his life, turned around and said, well, you and I, unfortunately, are going to have to be mature enough to learn and say, he said, naked I came into this world. And naked I will depart. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And then he did what we got to learn how to do. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He praised him. Now I came to tell you this morning that ain't no, that's not no getting up maturity right there. You got to grow up enough to be able to do that because life can come and cut your knees out from under you. And if you haven't been prayed up and if you haven't stayed in, on your face before the Lord, life can almost take you out of here. But when you know you got the Lord on your side, when you know him in unique and special ways, then you give him credit for the good in life and you learn to give him credit for the bad in life. When you know him that way, you can call on his name. And what I want to do is help you get to a place where you know him in that way. Because life keeps coming at you. It's not going to stop. The success you seek in this world order is tenuous at best. Because this is a fractured world. It was fractured in the fall. And while you may experience a modicum of success consistently for a while, it can all change in a moment. You can live right all your life. Do everything you're supposed to do. Pay your taxes. Be good. Tithe. And a tornado in Alabama come and take everything you got. You find yourself asking, what did I do? And the answer is, you didn't do anything. Life happens. Nobody's got any answers for you. The question for you to ask is, who am I going to turn to? And who am I going to depend on? And who am I going to lean on? Regular doctor's visit. Everything has been going good. I got my cruise planned. We going for six weeks on a Mediterranean cruise. And all of a sudden, you go to the doctor. And the doctor said, change the plan. I see something that don't look right. Who are you going to turn to under those circumstances? No, you can't get no deposits back. That's why you paid so cheap on the cruise. No, it's a one-off. So you miss all your money. Seems like things are going Funny. Who do you turn to? What God do you need to call on at that point? Because you can call all your family and they can't help you. The most you're going to get for them is, you know, I'm praying for you. I'm with you all the way. But that don't help when you walk in the doctor's office. When you're standing up there and the doctor is looking at you, not smiling, looking too serious. That don't help you when you're in there by yourself. No matter how much they love you, there are just some things in life you got to deal with yourself. And it doesn't matter what your bank account says at that point. It doesn't matter what you drove to the doctor's office in. It doesn't matter what the plaques are on your wall. 
You have got to deal with life on its own terms. And it's not always, not always good. But there is a God who knows what's going on. And so you need to learn how to praise his name. You need to learn how to honor his name. And you got to learn. I love this. You got to learn how to call on his name. Who do you call when something happens? Who the first person you call? Uh, who's on your number one speed dial? Is it G-O-D? Huh? Who's your ice connection in your phone in case of emergency? Who is that? Is it God? Is it God? I hope you learn to call on him first. Because can I tell you something? There's never a busy signal. He never sends you the voicemail. His phone is never dead. You always have enough minutes. The text always goes through. You ever send somebody an important text, really important text, only to realize two days later that the text didn't go through? And you're wondering, why didn't I hear from them? And you go back and you look, and it's still in your draft. That don't happen with the Lord. It always goes through. I don't know what angel is on that duty, but it always gets to the Lord. He's on duty 24-7 year-round. He gets the message to the Lord. And you need to learn how to trust in the name of the Lord. And then the last thing I'm going to tell you is this. As we go through this, you need to learn how to love the name of the Lord. Learn how to love it. There are a whole lot of things in life we can love. But you'll need to love his name above all else. Love his name above all else. Isaiah said, to love the name of the Lord and to worship, to worship him. When you learn how to reverence and love and honor and trust in his name, then life tends to take on a different flavor. Your hope starts to grow and your, your joy will start to increase under those circumstances. And worship gets deeper when you call on his name, when you trust in his name. You don't have to be in 45th Street Baptist Church to have a deep worship experience. Reggie doesn't need to be on the organ. You can be sitting at your kitchen table drinking your coffee and have the most impactful worship experience you've ever had. And the only music you got in the room is your own humming because you got a relationship with him. Make sure you make your house into a sanctuary. Your house is to be a sanctuary all the time. It can't be a hell den one day. You can't walk around cussing in it one day. And then the next day, it's going to be a sanctuary. You need to reverence your home. Keep some places inviolate. Not only you, but the folk who come in there with you. I'll tell you this, and I'm out of here. I've got a good friend. He's my barber. I'll just say that. I've known him for about 20 some odd years. And I love him like a son. And I've watched him since he was almost fresh out of barber school. Come up. He grew up in a family of barbers. 
And I've watched him sit in chairs that were owned, in barbershops that were owned by his uncles. Wherever he's gone, for some reason, my fondness for him has allowed me to follow him. But life comes at you. And I've watched those uncles die. And I've watched him move on. And the last shop that he was in with an uncle, the uncle was more a father figure to him. And the uncle wanted him to have the shop when he died. Erskine was his name. The atmosphere in Erskine's shop was always fun. We go to the shop, and Karen calls it the playground. If ever I tell her I'm going to the barbershop, she said, you're going to the playground, because that's what it's like in there. I mean, we just, a lot of good time. But there was also another current, undercurrent going on in there. I knew folk were in there drinking. I knew that some of the barbers, it's two or three chairs in there. Some of them were drinking. was not the holiest of atmospheres. So I could tolerate it because I was only in there time, you know, once or twice a month. Bobby cut my hair and then I get up, I'd have a laugh and I'd get up, give up, get up. We solve the problems of the world. We move on. But Erskine died. And it was just Bobby. And I saw this young man who didn't know which way to go. But fortunately, Botten had started a deeper relationship with the Lord before Erskine died. And somehow the Lord told Botten, you don't need anybody else in this shop with you. You need to reframe this shop so that it is fitting for me. Botten is the only barber in the shop now. Has been for several years. He doesn't have any other barbers in there. The whole atmosphere of the shop has changed. Botten has grown spiritually. Life has hit him and knocked the knees out of him. But he's been able to take care of his family, children. He's been able to take care of everything he needed. Hear me now as the only barber in. And when you walk into the shop now, it's almost a sanctuary. He doesn't allow any of that old craziness. That's not to say we don't have spirited conversations and debates in there. That's not to say grown folk don't use a profane word every now and then. What I'm saying is the atmosphere has changed because he wanted it to change. What you're telling me, Reverend Spar, and as the atmosphere has changed, as he's created a forum for the Lord, the Lord has blessed him. You can see it on his life. He looks like a different man. He walks and talks like a different man when he's in there. He has expectations. He's community-oriented in what he does now. All because he created a space and a place and reverences the Lord at every turn. I came to tell you today, when you get to know him, he'll bless you. I didn't tell you everything going to be all right just because you're growing. 
because everything ain't all right with my friend father. He got some issues in his life. But he's still growing in his relationship with the Lord. Same thing can happen for you too. Do you know him that way? Do you want to know him that way? If you do, then come and join me as we go through these names of the Lord. Come and join me as we get to know him in a better way. Donna McClurkin sings a song, got to know him in a better way. Got to know him in a better way. I want you to get to know him in a better way. I want you to know the God who loves you enough that he was willing to give his only begotten son. I want you to get to know the, the God who chose to do that and why he chose to do that. Why it was necessary for his son to come on a rescue mission for you. I want you to know the God who sacrificed his life for us. I want you to know that God. Son came and died for us, gave his life for us, so that we too might have the closest relationship we can have with God. If you know that maybe today is the first day you've heard about that. Maybe today is the first day you understood that somebody loved you enough to die for you. And if that's the case, maybe you want to make that public acknowledgement that today I found out that Jesus died for that's the case, then I invite you to make that public acknowledgement and we will celebrate with you through what we call baptism. Maybe you already made that acknowledgement. You've just been searching for a place that you can come and celebrate and fellowship and grow. Inviting you to try us. We're learning and growing together. Whatever the case may be, the doors of our church, the extended invitation is offered to you. While the choir sings, the musicians sing, the doors of our church are wide open. So ever will. Come on right now. Come on. Come on.